Welcome to our podcast, Healing Arts from the Borderland, organized by the Borderland Rainbow Center in El Paso, Texas. This is made possible through a grant for TASA, Texas Association Against Sexual Assault. And in this podcast, we provide cultural, spiritual enrichment to aid in healing in both this podcast as well as in workshops. Now, this podcast is for individuals in recovery, survivors, or for those who simply wish to be inspired by stories of resiliency. If you'd like to tell your story, please contact us at hstbgrant at borderlandrainbow.org or go ahead and feel free to check everything out in the links below. Now, my name is Amber and I'll be our guide interviewing artists and healers and how they came to be and their struggles and how they're helping the community now. Now, real quick, before we get started, I'd like to do a simple ask from you, and that would be that if you enjoy these podcasts, if these stories lift you up in any way, that you go ahead and share this with people who you think that this would resonate with. It's one of the best ways for us to grow and to reach bigger audiences and to have more uh, interaction with people. So uh, without much further ado, let's go ahead and get started. I heal other people, but... Really, ultimately, I'm healing myself at the same time. Today, we are joined by Lori Edwards in a conversation about chapters in our lives, perspective, and how healing others can often end up healing ourselves. This is a little bit different, right? Yeah. Most of the people that we've done interviews with have been more on the artist side, as in they're yes. doing workshops and doing all this fun stuff. Right. But you also work in art in a kind of a different way. So there is an art to working with people. There is an art mm-hmm. to working with all these different social structures and with all these different types of individuals, right? From different socioeconomic backgrounds and different educational backgrounds, different cultures. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what kind of got you into all of this. Well, I have two children now, but I also had a daughter before I had those two children and she was very, very ill from the beginning. So she was, she was seven years old when she passed away. And I think that that experience, experiencing dealing with the medicine and just taking care of somebody who is terminally ill in a wheelchair, things like that. When I was very young, I think formed a lot of the perspective that I took into every single job that I took after that. And so what I consider my art form is that I really feel like each one of us has something to learn from everyone else. I bring to the experience a lot of other experiences that I think benefit people. So my perspective is just a little different. What are some of the experiences that you've had that have really changed maybe the way you look at the world, the way you look at yourself? So as I mentioned, obviously the experience with my daughter, I was an incredibly young parent. I was that tragically impregnated teenager growing up here in the borderland, which is kind of a common story. So I was only 18 when she was born. And that meant me a baby raising a baby. I had dreams and aspirations to do a lot. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to do all these things, but I I couldn't do them realistically being a single mom, especially of such a very young child. And she was so sick from the beginning. She was born very early. She had a very traumatic birth just because I was preeclamptic when I was born. And I had a placental abruption when she was born. They had to resuscitate her at birth. There was just so much from the beginning that you think, okay, this is the start that you're getting in life. And it's already pretty tragic. So she never really developed the same way other children would. She never had those milestones. She never learned to talk. She never learned to sit up. 
she was basically frozen in time at four months old of gestation. So that was very difficult to handle because while other parents are looking forward to milestones that their children get to, we didn't have that. We were just hoping that we didn't have any degeneration of some type. And after a while, because of the way that she grew up, she had seizures because she didn't learn how to walk. She was wheelchair bound. After a while, it started to just feel like our own little personal health because she was so sick. She lived for seven years, but those seven years were hard. They were hard because she had seizures every day. A simple cold would be detrimental to her because it would cause pneumonia. So she lived a lot of her life in the hospital. I worked as an EMT also in the field, but also in the hospital that she was in. I didn't really have a life outside of it. So I worked in the field and then I worked some shifts in the emergency room. And then I would go upstairs and sleep in the cot next to her in whatever room that she was in. And I was lucky because I had my parents. So my mom would stay there with her while I would go work and she would take my scrubs home and wash them for me or take my uniform, my EMT uniform home and wash it for me. That was the first seven years of my adulthood was just processing being a single parent to that. And a lot of people our age are like, that's just a little too much reality for a Friday night. So I didn't really have a very good social network. It's hard to hang at that age. I think most people are finding themselves at that age. And I was just trying to stay afloat. So I don't think I was finding myself so much just treating everything as just part of my job. And when you parent a child who doesn't really, they can't really express that you are their parent, everything starts to feel clinical, every single thing. And so when she became so sick that she went home on hospice, the way that we processed it, unfortunately, was very clinical. But I think that that was a survival tactic, because I think watching a loved one pass away is the hardest thing, no matter what. The whole process of dying is not just hard on the person but on the people who are tasked with taking care of you at that point. I look back to the things that we had in the house and everything was super clinical. We had notes like we were nurses. We gave meds at this time. We turned her at this time. We just basically wrote and wrote and wrote everything down that we did because it kept our minds busy and kind of away from what was really happening. But so that experience was very traumatizing. She passed away over 30 days. Because she had been already kind of in the lifestyle of being bedridden and not being able to eat and stuff like that, it had slowed her metabolism down so much that when we finally lost the ability to feed her, I think, you know, like a person like you and me would have passed away much faster, but her body, right, had been training for this like lifelong, you know, time of having a low metabolism. So she really did pass away just very painfully slowly. And that whole experience, I think I was 25 years old when it happened. It was just, I mean, it was life changing, obviously. So that experience was what I had going into adulthood. I don't think that I had the time or even taken the time to find out who I was or what I was going to be until after she passed away because I had just focused all my attention on her and staying afloat. When I became a parent after that, I felt like 
I was very fearful to do it all over again because I wasn't sure if it would happen again. I wasn't sure. I, I did. I just wasn't sure what it was like to be a parent in general. And so it wasn't something that I wanted to jump right back into. Mm-hmm. Making the decision to get married was much easier for me because I have this person who's my best friend. I can see myself spending my life with him. I wasn't worried about that part of it. But when we started talking about having children again, it was like, do we really want to do this? Because it really did traumatize me. It formed this fear, this general fear that I wasn't sure a lot of other people had. Mm-hmm. So when we decided to have children and we had the children that, that we have now, the two, it really made everything so special and it made everything so monumental because I was able to carry the baby all the way to term and not experience any real complications and things like that. When my child was born, everything was just perfect the way I needed it to be. There was minor little complications here and there, but ultimately it's like, I think this baby's going to learn to talk and learn to sit and learn to do all these milestones, right? So I made a big deal out of all of that all of those things when my kiddos were first born. And, and I'm sure that you've noticed, right, that I'm leaving everything very gender neutral. <laughs> and that's because when, when I talk about my kiddos in the past tense, it's difficult because now they're, well, one of them is a different gender. Mm-hmm. So my 14-year-old that I have today is a transgender girl. Mm-hmm. And so when I recall the stories about the babies that I had in my mind, they were two baby boys. Now I have a daughter and a son. When she came out, we didn't know anybody else that had a transgender child. This was four years ago. We didn't know anybody else who had a transgender child. I did have plenty of friends in the community who were adults, but I didn't know anybody with a child that was transgender. When she came out, it wasn't a big deal to us. We were just kind of like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. Everybody else around us had a difficult time with it. But do you see the perspective that I was bringing into it? Mm -hmm. I was coming into this perspective with having lost my daughter beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so to this, it was kind of like, well, okay, is this a death sentence? No, we're fine. (laughs) This is totally not a big deal, right? That really, it formed the way that we kind of approached it because we weren't crazy advocating in the beginning. When she first came out to us, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, like I need to run to the top of the hill and shout to the world and I'm going to make everything totally different and perfect for her and it's going to be fine. And although there were small fears for me, because we did struggle with it in the beginning, it was all safety you know, just worrying about her future and stuff like that. But there was going to be a future. Whatever it was, it was going to be a future. In my mind, getting her past the age of seven was everything. And that's just superstition, right? I mean, I get that at that point. I don't think there was really a diagnosis they could have given her that would have been tragic to me other than something that would have led to a terminal illness. And so Mm -hmm. this was just one other thing like, okay, well, I have a transgender daughter. It didn't really form every single thing that we dealt with. Sought a lot of support. And that was how we found the Borderland Rainbow Center. I think that it uniquely suited me for the position that I ended up taking with them because I have a transgender daughter, but I have this previous life experience with a child who suffered and who was sick. 
And I did that at such a young age that it really formed how I grew as an adult. And so when my second and third child were born, I think that they were born into a family that luckily had that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were able to be supportive from the beginning, not really struggling with some of the common things that people deal with, like trying to talk her out of it, or are you really sure, like questioning her. We were able to be supportive from the beginning. My husband was able to be supportive from the beginning just because he's an amazing person. He didn't live through the, the situation with my daughter because we weren't in each other's lives yet. I was a single parent then. So, but just seeing, I think me go through that and healing through my daughter's death, I think really helped him kind of see everything that happened with my daughter, my my daughter now in a different light, even though he didn't physically live through it. I think Mm -hmm. watching me handle it has helped him also see to it. So that situation has put us in a place where we can offer a different perspective to some parents in the same situation who have children that are on the gender fluid spectrum or LGBTQ. We're able to support them and show them that, you know, it's okay. Like it's going to be fine because sometimes we meet people who panic. A lot of the times it's just out of a place of fear Mm -hmm. and the unknown I think that my basis of fear is just a little different. We're able to recognize, I think, a certain level of suffering in an empathetic way that doesn't necessarily destroy us, but still allows us to help other people see it from a different way in a non-threatening, non-dismissive way. When I help support other parents that are going through these things, I am very careful not to be dismissive of what they're dealing with because that feels awful when someone tells you that your life experience isn't significant enough to feel the feelings that you're feeling. But then I also am able to offer gently another perspective that reminds them that, look, this does feel the way that it's feeling, but it isn't the end of the world. No one's going to die. We're going to be okay. Like it's going to be all right. A lot of times people can't see that perspective because they've never been through it. I think that a lot of the times it is about fear, right? It's about Mm -hmm. fear and it's about ignorance not in like an ugly way but people don't know and while sometimes it is meant to be ugly a lot of times it's not right and people end up pushing their family members away and they end up creating this kind of death because now this person has left the family and they no longer exist yes and you bring to them this perspective of well yeah but this could really happen when it comes from somebody who's more like 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 them Mm -hmm. which is crazy to think that that's like them you know like we're doing air quotes it's easier for them to express these things too. People can be ugly, right? But a lot of times they still hold back some of that ugly because they innately understand that there are lines. Mm -hmm. And they're like, ooh, there's this line that I can't say to to like my loved one, but I can say to another person. They have to be allowed to express their concerns and their feelings because a lot of times I think what happens is that it internalizes into this cancer that creates all these boundaries and you're here doing this beautiful work and at 25 you had to start to find yourself what do you feel like helped you to begin to find yourself what was that process kind of like for you so often when I talk to people I tell them that I've had three very different lives I had my life of childhood where I was you know zero to 18 just being a kid and I really did have the most amazing childhood 
I'm adopted. I didn't know I was adopted until later, but I think I always kind of just knew in my mind because I didn't look anything like my family and they all look identical to each other. So I was kind of the odd kid out. I had that kind of in the back of my mind always Mm. when I had my daughter. I had that tragic deal where I was pregnant at the age of 18. I think honestly, because I was seeking so much to belong to someone, belong Mm -hmm. to something. So that ended up happening and that created a whole different life for those seven years. I was Mm -hmm. a different kind of adult. I was working as an emergency medical technician in the field, as well as in the ER. And I was so young and so I want to say disconnected, genuinely. I hadn't had any life experiences yet. And that really did form, like I told you, the way that I handled my daughter. I think having to watch that and come through it in a mental place where you're not completely broken, I think it did require me to look at it very clinically. I had to pull myself back. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I say that is because when my daughter passed away, I was not able to remove myself from that anymore. And so when I tried to go back into the field, I failed miserably. I failed miserably because I think the very first call that I ever had was somebody who was in a car accident and had broken very obviously their arm. I remember I was afraid of touching them. They were in so much pain and I could not pull myself from that situation to provide the care that they needed from that point forward. So at that moment, I say, I started living a new life. So that's life two is already done. Now I'm starting life three. And life three started off very crippling because of the fact that the one thing I thought that I was good at, which was practicing medicine, I could no longer do. I couldn't do it because I had experienced this trauma with my daughter's passing that now made it to the point where I felt everything so brightly that I couldn't help these people process the pain that they were experiencing. So I started to write. I just started writing it all out. And this was back in the days of live journal before there was really anywhere else that you could have this outlet. And I started processing and recalling every single thing that I went through with my daughter in very graphic detail, detail Mm -hmm. that a lot of people couldn't handle. But I did it because I needed to get it out of my head. It was living in my head. I had gone through it and just, as you said, right, pushed it down, like kind of hit it where nobody could really access it. I put it out there for people to see, and it was painful for people to read. A lot of people couldn't handle it. I got very mixed reviews, as I guess you could say, because some people would tell me like, this is not something that you write about. I found that when I was going through certain things later in life and I could read what other people's experiences were, it made it easier for me to process it. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned you're kind of that person who's more like, again, the air quotes, more like these other people, and they can read it and see what somebody else has gone through without that judgment. It makes it a more human experience for them. It's not fearful. They're able to see, well, this person's having these same thoughts. Mm -hmm. At the time, the only experience that I had to write about was my daughter's experience. And I had been contacted by a lot of different people at the time, either telling me, thank you. Thank you for writing this out because either 
they had gone through it before and they were thinking that no one else had felt the feelings that they had felt or they were now about to go through it mm-hmm. and watching and reading the things that I had posted about kind of prepared them for what was going to happen. And that formed everything for life number three that I'm on right now. And that's that I do believe I was put on this earth to help educate other people through my life experiences, just by telling them what I've been through. I feel that way because when my daughter was first starting, my middle daughter was first starting to show signs that perhaps there was some gender fluidity there. I took to read. I read experiences of other people. I mean, yes, I read all the science stuff too. Okay. But what was important to me was reading what other parents had been through Mm -hmm. because it showed me some of the things that might happen. A parent posted about what they went through and that it had gone horribly wrong. Okay. So mental note, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Mental note. I'm going to learn from this person's life experience and I'm going to try my hardest not to make that same mistake. Mm-hmm. And then there was people who posted, hey, we went, we just experienced this experience with our transgender child and we did this and it went really well. Okay, mental note. I'm going to try to do that going forward. So I took the experience that I had with my daughter and writing that blog about her dying and the palliative care and what it's like to experience that. And I started writing about what we were going through with my daughter. And there was kickback immediately from my immediate family mm-hmm. about her safety, about what this was going to do, exposing our family, because she deserves to have her own life as well and not be on the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And there is a very, very fine line between advocating and putting yourself out there to the point that you endanger yourself and your children. But because of the experience that I had with my daughter, because of the aloneness with my first daughter, the desolation that you feel that you're the only person going through this and no one else is going through it. And how are you going to make it? And then you don't feel like you said, you don't want to be judged. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these thoughts. Are other people having these thoughts or are you the worst Mm -hmm. human on the face of the earth because Mm -hmm. you're having these thoughts? Because of that culture that we have of the, we don't talk about that. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about grief. We don't talk about the hard stuff. It led, I think, to a lot of suffering in my family's life because we didn't have anybody we could ask. And so this life, life number three, this life, to me is about being that conduit of education for other people. Anybody who's going through the same thing that we're going through, I'm going to try to give them pieces of my life, not because I'm doing it the right way. Okay. I make lots of mistakes. I want people to learn from those mistakes, just like I learned from other mistakes, because there's plenty of things that we didn't do with my daughter, my middle daughter, that I think we would have accidentally done out of ignorance and not bad ignorance, as you said, just out of ignorance from not knowing that we didn't do, we were spared. Our family was spared that mistake because I got the chance to read other people going through it. Mm -hmm. And they put themselves out there. They exposed their families to being judged, right? How could you make such a horrible mistake? (laughs) But because they did that, I didn't make that horrible mistake. Mm -hmm. And so that is what this life is about. Life three 
the job that I have right now working with the Borderland Rainbow Center is working with the youth and the senior populations. So I kind of target both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. This position that I have with the BRC, it's perfectly suited to put me in a place where I can try at least to be that non-judging person that can give my life experiences to people who are going through the same thing. And it's not all the same, right? We are just one little section of the LGBTQ community. I can't tell them that their life experience is going to be ours, but I can share with them the same thoughts and fears and validation that I hoped that I would get while I was going through this. For so long, you felt like you didn't belong. And through your blogs, through your writing and through your speech, now you literally live your life making other people feel as if they belong. You let them know that, hey, you are not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. That's what art is. You had this pushback. There were people who were like, oh, thank you for doing this. And other people who were like, oh my God, you're a terrible person. But that's one of the basic precepts of art. It's like, if you are not getting a reaction from people, then you're not being honest enough. Do you feel like the writing the blog? Do you feel like speaking with people? Do you feel like those things heal you? The healing that comes to me is watching someone else feel that feeling of belonging. That is what I've been trying to cure my whole life. And not because I didn't have a great upbringing. Like I keep saying, my parents did everything they could to make me feel loved and accepted and part of the family. It had nothing to do with that. It was just some kind of unconscious, innate knowing that I was different. And I'm raising a child who is quote unquote different because they're not the typical upbringing, I guess that you could say, because they are transgender. She's transgender. And so that as a layer of just difference, and I don't want her to feel that not belonging feeling. I don't want her to feel that alienated feeling. No matter what though, she's going to feel it in, in some layer because there's nothing I can do to get rid of that. But what I can do is I can do my best to help her feel absolutely loved and accepted with the community that we surround her with. And that's where the BRC is so important because we help our community by being part of our community. And we help our community by just being in everyday experiences. We go, we help with pantry, we do game nights together. Every bit that we can be involved with our community adds an extra layer to a life experience where we can share what we've been through and help other people feel accepted. And so that helps us feel accepted. So the healing that you ask about, I get that by watching other people be healed. So that's what the writing is all about. That's what the sitting in groups, the the groups that we facilitate at the BRC, where we have family of trans folk groups, the general teen group, the middles transgender group, the littles, the gender fluid group, all of those experiences, that is what heals. That's what heals by watching other people have that feeling of, okay, I'm part of this community. I have this community. I'm not alone. We're all together. We're all having weird thoughts, right? (laughs) (laughs) All of us are having weird thoughts and we're not weird for thinking them Mm -hmm. and allowing that judgment free zone where you're safe, where we do talk about those things, where this is a safe place, where it's not taboo to discuss things that are uncomfortable, to discuss things that are embarrassing, 
mm-hmm. embarrassing, quote unquote, mm-hmm. making them not embarrassing. That's what's important is creating that safe space for all walks of life, not just LGBTQ, but I mean, experiencing, processing loss, processing trauma, processing abuse, all of those things. It's all part of life. And the more areas that I think that we create where people can come forward and seek that validation and seek the acceptance and the understanding, that's where the healing comes from. So I heal other people. But really, ultimately, I'm healing myself at the same time. The last thing I'd like to say is if yeah. there's anything that you could say to, to anybody, maybe parents or to somebody who's LGBT or somebody who's just going through something that hard, what would you say to them? Just that you're not alone. You're not. I know that it feels like you're alone. And I think that's because of the culture that we've set up, again, where we can't talk about these things. You're not alone. You're not alone and this is a messy life and we all make mistakes and don't be shamed for that mistake. Just learn from it and go forward. Be careful who you surround yourself with. There's people who are going to focus on all the negativity in a bad way. And there's people who will help you grow from the things that go wrong. Isn't it easier to rise above it if the people around you are not also relishing in your failure? Life is short. You have control over the way that you react to other people. You don't have control over how they're going to react to you, but you have control over what you react. That's how you change your your outlook, I think, in life. I can't tell you enough. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your you. experience. Thank you for touching something inside of me today that I didn't know needed to be touched. And thank you for inspiring me today. And thank you for listening. Today's conversation was one that was at times difficult and at times just simply awe-inspiring. And these are the type of conversations I think that the world needs to continue to have in order to change and become a better place. As always, this is Amber with the Borderland Rainbow Center. Wishing you peace and hoping to see you soon. Take care.